Thank you for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And remember, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. From the studios of 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa, Oklahoma, this is the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. I am your gracious and humble host, Eric G. And coming up today, both OU and OSU go into the transfer portal to add a little depth. We'll tell you what we're hearing about Davis Bevel. Also, why the OSU running back situation could be one of attrition this year and how nervous you might want to be about that if you're a Cowboy fan. We'll discuss this new deal that OU has decided to do with ESPN Plus prior to them going into the SEC. I'll tell you why it's not an end to pay-per-view football games and and why even OSU fans need to pay attention to what's going on in the Big Ten with their new TV deal and how it will affect the way that we watch football in the future. In the second half of today's show, I'm going to play you our interview that we did today on the Sports Animal 97.1 in Tulsa with Jake Trotter. He is the Cleveland Browns beat writer for ESPN. Obviously, we talk a lot about Baker Mayfield. You'll find out if whether or not Baker Mayfield knew how to be a professional when he came into the NFL and what his future will hold. To introduce myself, I'm Eric G. I'm the co-host of the Pat Jones Show on 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. Please listen or download our app for your smartphone. Okay, both the Cowboys and the Sooners decided to go into the transfer portal, and the main reason they did this was for depth purposes. Davis Bevel comes to OU. Bevel, I think I said Bevel. But Davis Bevel comes to OU out of Pittsburgh where he played two years, and in two years being the backup to Kenny Pickett, who's now with the Steelers, he threw for 237 yards and one touchdown, was 22 of 32. So not exactly glowing stats, nothing that's going to light up your fantasy league. And if you're doing fantasy college football, then I love you because that means you were just as sick as I am. But Bevel is a guy that's really being brought in for depth purposes. You know you're going to start Dylan Gabriel, Nick Evers is most likely going to be your backup, and we still don't know what Nick Evers can or cannot do. The coaches do, and you may have read some stuff online or even in the newspaper about what Nick Evers can do, but all that's coming from the coaches because at the spring game, that guy was under so much pressure, he never really had time to throw, and let's hope that by the time the season starts, the offensive line issues get worked out at OU, and if Nick Evers has to come into a game, he can at least get a pass or two off. But when it comes to uh, Davis Bevel, uh, sources close to us, close to the Pat Jones show, are telling us that Davis Bevel Bevel is not a very good football player, which, uh, honestly, if you're an OU fan, don't freak out over that. Don't get offended over that. That's just what we're hearing. And, again, when you're bringing somebody in for depth, He is your safety valve. He is your worst case scenario guy. And you're going to have people like that on scholarship. What you want Davis Bevel to do while he is at OU is get into the film room, study, do the obvious things like prepare like he's going to have the opportunity to play. But you also want him for scout team to give that defense as good a look as possible. But the last thing any of us want is to see this kid on the field this year unless... OU is up by 63, and there's a couple of minutes left in the fourth quarter where he can do as little damage as possible. And I'm not saying that this guy is, 
I'm not saying you're going to play the Benny Hill theme to any of his highlights, but what I am saying is the whole reason OU got him was just to have another warm body. Whereas if you look at Oklahoma State and they go out and get DeAndre Jackson out of Texas A&M, that's a guy that's got an uh, that's got a chance to contribute a little bit more. Now this guy's over six foot; he's about two hundred twenty pounds. And when you look at that Oklahoma State running back room, it's pretty packed right now. Dom Dom Richardson is going to be the featured back, or as close to being the featured back as you possibly can at Oklahoma State. I think all of us are also expecting Ollie Gordon to carry the rock quite a bit. But here's the thing. And here is the huge deal for Oklahoma State this year. While we know OSU is going to get more numbers, 25 guys, 25 offensive linemen will be in camp when it starts in August. Well, we know that that is the deal. We do not know how this offensive line is going to play. We do not know how big of a cohesive unit or how good of a cohesive unit they are going to be. And there's a very good chance that anybody who plays running back at OSU is going to get beat up this year. So... You get a guy like DeAndre Jackson to go in with the rest of the running backs at Oklahoma State, and you could bet just about everybody's going to get an opportunity to contribute because those guys could get beat up. If Oklahoma State's going to be successful this year, we've said this a million times. You know this as well as I do. They're going to have to run the ball, and it can't strictly be all on the shoulders of Spencer Sanders. You can't have your quarterback putting that much wear and tear on your body. You are going to get you are going to need to get some major production out of your running backs this year. And that may mean going way down into the depth chart before the season is over. So for Oklahoma State, if for no other reason, then you are probably looking at a guy carrying the ball. I'm a lot more excited about what I got out of the transfer portal than I did if OU. If I'm an OU fan, it's like, all right, good. It's another quarterback. We know Dylan Gabriel's the guy. Let's, you know, hopefully this this kid never plays. And if he does, let's hope that he can play well enough that it doesn't end up costing you a ball game. And this brings me to the transfer portal, where I'll admit, I don't know what exactly the transfer portal is there for anymore. Because so many different coaches are using it in so many different ways. In fact, to, to me... It, it might be the most fascinating conversation that we're having in college football right now when you're talking about stuff that matters on the field. Because on one hand, if you take a look down in Austin, you've got a guy like Steve Sarkeesian who has a gun to his head and knows that he's got to win this year. So he is using the transfer portal like a basically like a get-rich-quick scheme. Okay, so here's all these guys who are college-ready, They're not high school kids that I have to develop. Bodies should be bigger and stronger. They're faster. They should be able to learn whatever system I'm running, both offensively and defensively, quicker than I could could teach a high school kid. It gives me a chance to jumpstart my program, especially if the edict has been put out that I've got to win somewhere between seven or eight games. So that's how I'm going to do it, is I'm going to cobble together a roster of experienced players, go out and use it. But buyer be warned, because we've seen in the transfer portal that that does not always work out for the best. You've got schools like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, who I will use the term, are doing it the right way. They're looking for gaps to fill. Okay, we're a little thin in this area. We don't have enough depth over here. 
what do we need? Well, we need a couple more offensive linemen. We need a couple more defensive linemen. Well, it wouldn't hurt us to have a third scholarship quarterback, a guy that is actually a decent scholarship quarterback. So let's go out and get him. And listen to Mike Gundy. And I think if you listen to just about any sane college coach out there talk, uh, be they at a level where Tulsa is or a level where Alabama is, they still want to build the program through high school kids and then take portal kids as they want. They do not want to be in the situation that Steve Sarkeesian is in Texas where it's like, all right, well, um, I got to win. So I'll go out and get all the good college players I can or ready-made players that I can and hope that it gets me to a 6-6, and 8-4, 10-2 season faster than I would building the program the old-fashioned way. And when you think about it this way, all right, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't actually seen a little bit more of this in college because think about if you're a coach, you're really on about a two-and-a-half-year contract now. And with the transfer portal out there, an athletic director might not give you as much leeway as he would if something like that wasn't available to you and kids had to sit out a year. Uh, If he knows that you can go out and get kids and he believes that the answer is in there, he's going to make sure that you know that and that's how you're going to have to build your team. That's not a that's not a path to long term success. Um, I almost feel like I'm I'm talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder building through the draft versus finding you know signing a bunch of free agents. But essentially, it is the same thing. It's not a path to long term success. It may get your program going, but if you're able to get your program going and you end up going to a New Year's Six Bowl or you're just on the outside looking in of a playoff spot or a possible conference championship game spot, then these high school kids who maybe you weren't even on their radar now all of a sudden take a look at you and go, okay, well, hey, yeah, I'll go there. I I know that they signed a lot of transfers last time, but they're trying to build a program, so I got an opportunity to play. It's going to be interesting. Um, It's going to be an interesting discussion going forward because I will tell you that I do think the one-year sit-out rule is going to come back in. And the reason I think that that is going to come back in, with the NCAA putting their new NIL ruling out today, which is set to punish schools who use the NIL as inducement for players to come to a particular institution. In other words, what the NCAA is saying, as as I put this kind of together in in a more cohesive form, the NCAA is telling schools, okay, You cannot have a kid sign an NIL contract with the promise that he will come to a school before he's actually there. All right, we know that's going on now, but if you do it, you're going to be in trouble. The problem with what the NCAA is doing is it has no teeth, and they haven't set forth really any punishment, and they need to set forth outline, define punishment the way that you would see it in the NBA for tampering. And that punishment needs to be taking away, if you get caught, taking away at least five scholarships and then fining you. Why would I allow you to do a bowl appearance? It's very easy. There's a thousand bowls out there now, and there's not enough slots to fill them. So I don't want to take away anybody's bowl opportunity because somebody's got to play in it. And it might as well be somebody in my conference versus somebody else's getting that opportunity. And eventually what all this is going to lead to is a czar of college football that hopefully 
wrangles everything in and hopefully can wrangle in these TV contracts. I know that a lot of OU fans this week were doing backflips over the deal with ESPN Plus, which is going to provide a thousand hours of programming per year while OU was still in the Big 12 for you to watch. You know, a lot of the non-revenue sports are going to be on this. All the coaches shows, one football game a year will be on it. And you you thought, you paused, and you gave everybody five. It's like, hey, man, we're done paying 50 bucks to watch OU play Army, or we're done paying, you know, 35 bucks to watch OU play Kent State or UTEP this year, whoever the pay-per-view game is going to be. Not so fast. It is not the end of pay-per-view football. In fact, when you break it down, and not to throw cold water on this, but when you break it down to that $7.99 a month, or if you're like me and you do the package where you've got Hulu and Disney Plus, because let's face it, I got to get my Daredevil, my Star Wars, and my access to the Beatles in uh, all in one area. Uh, you've got that that package. That's like $14.99 a month. We'll add that up over a year. That's a hell of a lot more than the 50 bucks you paid for one shot just to see OU pay. But in a month, $7.99, $14.99, $12.99, whatever it is, feels like less. So it's a little bit of a mind game. And if you're an OSU fan, you're saying, well, this doesn't pertain to me, be very careful. Watch what happens with the Big Ten because they're in ne- negotiations right now. And while you're seeing, and I know a lot of OSU fans had to watch games on ESPN Plus last year, okay? Like, I get it. I was there for all that. This Big Ten deal could become really scary because as they're in television negotiations, What we've seen with football is it's been these third-tier games end up on streaming services. The Big Ten may actually put top-tier games on streaming services. So it drastically alters the way that you watch, which means you're going to have to connect from your iPad or your computer, or you're going to have to go out and buy a smart TV that has all these apps on them. Notre Dame, in fact, gives one game a year exclusively to Peacock because it's NBC's way of trying you to get to subscribe to their service. So when it comes to television, we are going to continue to pay more for that than we are any other vice in our life. Think about how many streaming services you're probably paying right now and get ready to add for that. Like, think about it. You probably pay, like, if I'm guessing right now, you probably pay for Netflix. Maybe you've got Hulu that we've talked about. There's an HBO Max. Yeah, it starts to add up real quick. And I'm one of those guys looking to dump Netflix because there's not really that much good programming on it right now, but I have to have ESPN Plus for the job. Thank God I can write it off. You may not be that lucky. So no matter what, we're going to have to pay to watch football. And when someone tells you, oh, it's the end of pay-per-view, they're just lying. You're just paying in another way. You're paying more. You're just not paying as much at one particular time. Unfortunately, that's the way that it all breaks out. But we're sports fans, and and guess what? We're addicts, so we're just going to keep buying. And I don't say that to rip on anyone because I'm in the same boat as you. I will continue to do that myself. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Jake Trotter. He is the Cleveland Browns beat writer for ESPN, and he'll tell us whether or not Baker Mayfield uh, is actually disliked or, or was he sabotaged by his teammates with the Browns. That's next here on the Heartland College Sports Bedlam Podcast. Baker Mayfield is always going to be a hot topic for OU fans because God never created a more perfect player to wear the Sooners uniform. At least least for those that grew up rooting for Barry Switzer, then Bob Stoops, 
went through the 90s. They're just, he wanted to play at OU. He did. He was brash. He was cocky. He kicked your butt. He told you about it. It's just, he's everything OU fans ever wanted. No matter how classless some may say he is, he just fits right along with the OU mentality. And, and as an OU fan, don't apologize for that. If you love Baker Mayfield, love Baker Mayfield. I love me some Baker Mayfield. Don't love his statue, which was just put in Heisman Park because it doesn't look like him, which is one of the reasons why Baker Mayfield was top of mind. By the way, I was down in Norman a couple of weeks ago for my son's birthday who goes to OU. Uh, had to take him to Sugars. Don't, don't you judge me. Don't, don't, don't judge me for that. By the way, Sugars is closed. If you're trying to go there, don't. Um, but I cannot get into the details of the birthday because, hey, you know, my son and I are fraternity brothers, so we've got to, you know, keep some things quiet. Anyway, back to Baker Mayfield. What's top of mind now with this kid or with Baker, and I call him a kid because to me he still seems so young in so many different ways, is where he's going to end up. What is the future going to hold for him? We had an opportunity to talk with Jake Trotter from ESPN, who is the Cleveland Browns beat writer, covers Baker Mayfield, was plucked for ESPN specifically to go up there for him. And here's a sample of that interview, and I start off asking him, was Baker Mayfield sabotaged by his teammates? I, I don't know if I would say, you know, he was sabotaged by his teammates. That's that's not the way I would phrase it. I will say that the Odell Beckham saga last year really became a divisive incident for the team, and in particular for Baker Mayfield. And when Odell's father, you know, came out and called Baker Mayfield trash, that was a word I think he used in the Instagram comments on the video that he posted showing all the times that Baker didn't throw Odell's way or missed him when he was open. I think that when Odell Sr. did that, by extension, OBJ basically echoed the same thing because he didn't, you know, he didn't come out and say, well, you know, I don't agree with that or text Baker, hey, man, sorry about that. Like, it was total silence, essentially condoning it, if not endorsing it. And so I think that a lot of teammates who looked up to Odell in that locker room, um, you know, a lot of young guys, you know, they're in high school, they're in junior high when Odell made that famous catch against the Cowboys when he was with New York. I mean, Odell, whether he actually warranted any more from his play, you know, is a total star in the eyes of a lot of young guys. And so when Odell exited the way that he did, I think a lot of teammates were left looking at Baker like, you're the reason Odell is gone. Odell doesn't think you're any good. And Baker continued to struggle, and I think it only worsened from there. So, yeah, like, I don't think his teammates like sabotaged him. I mean, I think, I think they still wanted to win. I mean, at the end of the day, they still wanted Baker to do well. But um, I think by the time it got to the end of the season – there were a lot of guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that just didn't believe in Baker Mayfield anymore. And I think that was a very difficult for, thing for him that he felt in the locker room. Jake, it's always it's good to hear you. This, My question is tied in a little bit with what Eric had asked. You know, and through this whole, we are talking about yesterday, and I said to ask Jake Trotter, how, how overall was Mayfield – I, and it probably went in waves, can you considering you had all those different coaches up there, but how was he basically what kind of locker room guy in in a general sense is is where does he fit in there? Jake, I mean, is do you know the offensive lineman like him? Does he just does he stay to himself? Is he a is he a 
a pretty good con- – is he congenial with the, the other kids in the locker room? How – what kind of locker room guy is he perceived as? Yeah. Coach Baker has a huge personality. We right. all know this, right? right? I mean, going back to Oklahoma. And, you know, one thing that was so true during his OU days was just how revered he was in the locker room. I always was struck by how Baker Mayfield, the year he redshirted in 2014 – how he was able to win over a lot of guys not even playing yep. just by the energy he brought to practice, the way he orchestrated things on the scout team, um, you know, all the dancing. Remember that, that yeah. viral dancing yeah. video from the bowl game? That was in 2014 before he'd even played, and you could just see there, you know, what the guys thought of them. And then you fast forward uh, to Baker Sr. at OU, and he, you know, he has the Kansas, you know, crotch grab incident, and mm-hmm. he gets – uh, you know, he, he can't start or be captain in that last game against West Virginia. And I don't know if you remember this or not, Coach. Maybe Eric does. But they brought his jersey to midfield so he could be part of the coin toss as if he, like, passed mm. away or something. Mm. He was standing there on the sidelines. But, like, that's how much that team respected him, and that's how much of a leader he was for that team. And then you go to Cleveland, and it definitely was that way early again. You remember the Thursday night football game against the Jets? His rookie season, the beer fridges come open. You know, he is like the guy. And I think really starting in 2019, you know, you had the Duke Johnson incident where he, you know, said, you know, mm. Duke had requested a trade after they had signed Kareem Hunt, and Baker was like, you need to get off the train or get, get on it. Um, not really sympathetic to Duke's situation, which, by the way, would become Baker's situation more or less three years later. And I just kind of think from there on there were some – you know, there were some squabbles within the locker room between Baker and different guys. And I, I think that, you know, he was still well-liked and he was still the leader. And I think that really resurfaced during the 2020 season when they won the playoff game and had that great run after Odell's injury. But, you know, I, I think it finally came due last year when he could not perform. And yet, you know, he had this big personality um, that, you know, for whatever reason, maybe started to rub guys the wrong way in there. So you wouldn't think, or would you, Jake, that going forward here, I mean, he's going to end up with somebody else at some point in time. Do you think that throughout the league that that he, he's not perceived as a, a clubhouse cancer, is he? I wouldn't say that he's a clubhouse cancer, but I don't think that he's perceived as a guy that will just come in and make nice, right? I yeah, mean, like, yeah. I think the calculus for Baker Mayfield is, you know, and this was, I'm not like trying to be critical of Baker. This was all the stuff that made him great. You know, that's how, this is how you go from being a two-time walk-on to winning the Heisman. I mean, you got to have this like unbelievable self-confidence and this swagger and this attitude, which is all great when you win. But when you're 27th in the NFL and QBR, you know, that, that's, that, 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 that's a little bit tough. And, so I don't, I don't think that, like, teams are looking at Baker Mayfield and thinking, oh, this guy would be good as, like, a backup quarterback for us. Right. Because, you know, he's the number one pick. He's a big personality. He's won a playoff game. And I think that that, you know, is one of the reasons that's probably hurting him right now um, in the fact that he, he basically has no market, market at the contract he has. Talking with uh, Jake Trotter here of ESPN on 97.1, the sports animal. Jake, what I hear from you, what I read – in a lot of the stuff that you write, is that Baker Mayfield did not know how to be a professional when he came into the NFL. How much do you think he understands that now? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, on the one hand, nobody's going to work harder than Baker Mayfield. He always gets compared to Johnny Manziel, which I think has always been um, a, a pretty lazy comparison in the sense yeah. that they, they both kind of they both have played college ball sort of the same way on the field, but off the field, I mean, Baker is at the, the facility at 6 a.m. studying film. I mean, Baker puts in the work, um, you know, and, and I think in that way he was ready to be a professional. I think that the relationships and trying to navigate all of that, um, and here's the other part of it too, Eric. I mean, Coach referenced it a second ago. Like, you put Patrick Mahomes on the Browns and he gets four head coaches in three seasons. Like, how is he going to do like, maybe he'd be able to overcome it, but, you know, in the NFL, a lot of it is the situation you're in. And if you're just in constant dysfunction and turmoil and you've got a new playbook every offseason or every half year in some cases and you've got guys like, you know, Hugh Jackson as your head coach and, you know, he's suing the team, um, you know, later making these allegations that they were losing on purpose. And um, you've got Freddie Kitchens, uh, you know, who, who really, I think, had a tough time as a head coach in his one year you know, never been a coordinator before. I mean, it's just like left and right, uh, all these different dysfunctional situations he was put in. I mean, I, I don't know that like anybody would handle that great. And that's why, you know, when you're, when you're Mahomes and you get drafted in the, you know, Kansas City with Andy Reid, um, you know, that, that makes a huge difference. And, you know, it's not just Baker who has struggled in Cleveland. They haven't had a quarterback do anything since Bernie Kosar. Talking with Jake Trotter here on 97.1 The Sports Animal. So, Jake, come August, where is Baker Mayfield? Well, I mean, I, I hope that he is not on the Browns still. Because, I mean, that would be, you know, that would be a disservice to his career, you know, if they just squat on him through the whole season. You know, he's, he's trying to still make it in the NFL. And if they do that, you know, that's going to be really debilitating for his career trajectory. So, but I, and I think Baker can do some things to make things uncomfortable if it gets to that point. Like, how would the Browns feel if Baker shows up to mandatory minicamp? You know, we were talking about a complete circus at that mm. point. Mm. Um, you know, and this team's trying to you know get ready for the 2022 season, and that's going to be difficult to do if Baker Mayfield shows up and is causing that big of a distraction. Which they're not going to you know negotiate a release. That's an option that I think he would have to exercise because you know under the CBA they can't tell him he can't be there. Um, I don't know where he'll be. I mean, I think if he gets released, you know, he'll have a much more robust market than he does now. The contract is really the obstacle. Um, and if, if, you know, if, if he's making $3 million for his next team instead of $19 million, I think there'd be a bunch of teams that would be interested. You know, maybe not as a starter, maybe as a starter. Um, but I, 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 you know, I think obviously Seattle and Carolina make the most sense right now. And I think both would be interested if he were released. But just right now, nobody's interested in trading with the Browns because the Browns are not willing to eat enough of the money for it to, to make sense for those teams. It's just astonishing to think that in three years' time, Baker Mayfield has gone from number one overall pick to having the most uncertain future of any quarterback in the NFL. In fact, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's had so shoulder surgery, has a much more certain future than Baker Mayfield does because he's got a track record. And if that shoulder's healthy and Carolina decides they want a quarterback or Seattle, even though they're saying they want to go with Drew Locke, if they decide they want a quarterback, Garoppolo is the logical guy to go after before Baker Mayfield. In fact, if you were to talk to Baker Mayfield's agent right now, he doesn't know 
where Baker Mayfield's going to end up. You could you could pull teams out of a hat right now. You you could do that. Get a hat, pull teams out of them. You would have a better idea of where Baker Mayfield's going than where he does, based just simply on that simple exercise. It's crazy to think, but it is. The other thing that's crazy to think is how are you so beloved by your teammates at OU that when you went to the NFL, it all went south. And a lot of it, that's part of the that's Baker Mayfield's biggest issue, if you ask me. It's not the money, it's what his reputation is. How's he going to be in the locker room? And if he was a good teammate, one, I don't think the Browns would have gone out and traded for Deshaun Watson, but two, I would have thought he would have been picked up right now. Baker Mayfield needs to learn how to be professional. And it, look, it started off on a bad note. You criticize a teammate when it comes to a contract negotiation, that's just stuff that you stay out of, okay? You go in, you're confident, you do your job, and people will respect you and Hey, the Odell Beckham thing, I'm not going to blame him for. Odell Beckham's dad knew better. He shouldn't have said anything. His son's a grown man. His son did not need him to be taking up for him. But when the perception happened, if Odell was a popular guy in the locker room, there wasn't a whole lot Baker Mayfield could do about that. So change of scenery, we hope, eventually ends up working out best for him. That wraps up the Heartland College Sports Bedlam podcast. I am Mary G. Thank you for listening this week. As always, may God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon says, everybody love everybody. And a quote, Diamond David Lee Roth, stay frosty.